live from my man cave in Chesapeake, Virginia, this is MLS Gone Wild. I'm your host, Blake, here to bring you the latest news, rumors, opinions, analytics, interviews, and all things MLS and American soccer. Let's get it going. Hello and welcome to MLS Gone Wild, episode 87. This is your host, Blake. On this week's episode of MLS Gone Wild, I am joined by former soccer writer for the Washington Post, Orlando Sentinel, 442, ESPN, and MLSsoccer.com, and current senior writer for The Athletic and co-host of the Allocation Disorder podcast, the one, the only, Paul Tenorio. Paul, welcome to MLS Gone Wild. Thanks so much for having me on. I appreciate it. Of course. So the summer transfer window has come and gone. The All-Star break is here. We're actually watching the Skills Challenge now. And the MLS playoff race is heating up, as is most of the country. Paul, I don't know where you're at, but it's hot as could be in Chesapeake. So we'll get into all that, plus so much more in this episode. But Paul, first of all, man, thanks for hopping on MLS Gone Wild. And how the heck you doing? Yeah, man, I'm happy to happy to be on. Uh, I'm doing all right. You know, I think, um, you know, after after the transfer window, you get a little chance to breathe. Um, it can be it can be a little bit wild. And for me, it's a it's a kind of a weird period because I'm I'm pivoting a lot of my focus to the World Cup, um, which is both stressful, um, but also really exciting because this will be my first chance to cover World Cup live, um, you know, on site. So so it's it's exciting times. Wow, that that is super exciting. I'm excited for you, man. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's uh, it, it'll be a totally, totally unique experience going to Qatar and um you know it'll be different than any other world cup and some things it'll make it easier and how small the country is and ability to get to all the games some ways it'll be completely logistically you know more difficult um but you know i'm i'm looking forward to uh to the opportunity but you're going to the world cup man that's a blessing that's not something a lot of people say so i'm looking forward to following your work while you're over in guitar but you talked about the transfer window and how it was wild well, I'm Blake. I'm MLS Gone Wild. You're Paul. You're the allocation disorder. This is like the perfect combination to talk about the transfer window, but we'll jump right into the transfer window. So if my calculations are correct, there were somewhere around 90 incoming and outgoing MLS transfers during the summer transfer window that spanned from July 7th to August 4th. And you had your finger on the pulse of a lot of those moves as they were dropping in real time. Last week, if you guys haven't listened, go check out Extra Time. They had Tommy Scoops on deadline day quite entertaining got to see him pacing checking his phone all that good stuff waiting for the next move but for you Paul take us inside what it's like breaking that big news you know are you trying to beat Tommy Scoops the big news you trying to beat Fabrizio to the big news are GMs and agents calling and DMing you giving you the details are you making the calls basically what's that process like and do you have any untold stories from this past transfer window yeah I mean um Sure. I think part of it is, is the race is on between different writers and, and different outlets for sure. I think it'd be, you know, silly to not pretend that that, that exists. Um, but, you know, I've talked about this a lot in recent, recent days, recent weeks around the transfer window. And just that, you know, I think both Sam Stasekel and I kind of tried to change our lifestyles a little bit to not be as tied to breaking news because it is an all consuming role. And, um, you know, we both love to kind of step back and write the bigger picture pieces and, um, and zoom out on kind of how things happen. And, and I think from, you know, my personal standpoint, uh, I have, I have two kids, you know, under the age of three or three and younger. And so that, that eats up a lot of time as well. 
Um, but yeah, I mean, during the course of the window, it's, it's both, you know, I, I was making phone calls to, to people for a couple of stories that I'm working on. And in the course of those phone calls, you end up breaking news. Um, you get texts and, and calls from GMs and, you know, all sorts of people, right? Like that's just part of, part of the job. Um, and, you know, I, I think, I think as you are kind of in the, the, the final days of the window, um, you know that when you pick up the phone to make calls to people around the league, to, to different sources around the league, that um, there's a good chance you're going to kind of trip and fall into some sort of news, whether it's, you know, about that team or another team or what are they hearing or who the rumors are. And, and yeah, you get a little bit tied to your phone in those, those last 48 hours. Um, and it's just a matter of, you know, how, how tied to the phone you want to be and, and, uh, and, and trying to kind of like balance, balance everything. Um, for me, you know, from this window, like, I don't feel like there were too many untold stories out of it. I mean, I, I think, uh, actually that's not true. There was a significant amount of buzz in the last day, deadline day around the allocation order. Um, which as you, you know, you know, as the host, one of the hosts of allocation disorder, it was quite exciting, uh, to be right in the middle of, of the allocation order. And, you know, there were a lot of moving pieces because Cincinnati had the top spot. They were in discussions with Miazga, which Sam and I talked about in the, the live allocation, uh, disorder that we did. And then, you know, behind them, Toronto was looking to move up to get Richie Larea. Dallas had some things that they were working on. Chicago was trying to keep its pulse on everything. Real Salt Lake. I mean, there were everyone was trying to figure out what was happening with the allocation order. And it led to just like this kind of behind the scenes drama that really didn't amount to anything. But it was just a lot of there were a lot of phone calls getting traded around the league, trying to figure out who was doing what. And uh, it was probably one of the more interesting experiences I've had as a reporter in just uh, how, how buzzy it was in those final few hours and trying to figure out, like, is, is there another move coming down the pipeline? Like, is someone else coming back to MLS or is this just like, a, you know, this weird thing? And it ended up just being a weird thing. <laughs> and, and like, that's part of the job, too, is like you're like on you're, you're on call. You're ready for like this other move to happen. And then nothing happened. And then it was like, okay, what was I, you know, what was I obsessing over for the last two hours? You know, the allocation order may seem weird, like you said to some, but to Chris Albright and FC Cincinnati, that's where they live. They have what everybody else wants. They have that number one spot and Chris Albright and FC Cincinnati traded it. How many times this year? Like three. Yeah. I think it was three or four times. Cause they got that, that last trade in on the, on deadline day with Toronto. I think he made more than 400,000. I mean, you know, I, I think it's, um, you know, allocation order goes right there with discovery rights as far as MLS rules that have outlived their usefulness. Um, I think what we're seeing is these rules were created with with good intention. You know, in those early days, as as every, you know, most people who listen to this pod probably know, the players in MLS are not under contract with their specific teams. They're under contract with Major League Soccer. And so what MLS wanted to avoid was, people competing against each other for the same player because you're bidding yourself up in a, in a, in the single entity way, the league likes to think about it. But what we're seeing is that 
you are costing people more money, right? Like, like Cincinnati making several hundred thousand dollars on the number one allocation spot is great work by Chris Albright and also ridiculous. And so I, I don't know that discovery will change, but I wouldn't be shocked if the allocation order goes away in the near future. Like, I, I think, I think there's enough, um, dissent within the league that they might not get everything they want, which means getting rid of discovery and allocation. But I wouldn't be surprised if, if the league realizes, Hey, you know, teams having to spend a hundred thousand, 200,000 to move up in this order is, is really not the intent. It's not really what we're trying to do here. Hey, take advantage of it while you can says Chris Albright and a couple thousand dollars, you say $425,000 of general allocation money, FC Cincinnati's way. They get all that. Plus their guy, Matt Miazga. We'll get into Matt and FC Cincinnati's moves later. You're already talking about the discovery rights. So let's get into it. LAFC had to pay enter Miami, what? $50,000 for Gareth Bale's discovery rights. Paul, what the hell are discovery rights? And how did Enter Miami get them? And I'm a Columbus Crew fan. Who who did the Columbus Crew discover? Yeah, well, I mean, that's Ronaldo or like I, I think there's just there's first of all, one of the biggest flaws of the discovery rights is the name. Um, because what it does is it makes the league look stupid. Um, whenever, whenever it happens, people, it's the same commentary, like, oh, you discovered Gareth Bale, you discovered Chicharito, you discovered, you know, every single time you sign somebody, because basically discovery signings are pretty much every signing in MLS outside of the allocation order or draft or waivers. Like everyone is essentially a discovery signing. Um, it's basically every, every team has seven players. Maybe it's nine now that you can put on your discovery list. And those, you can take players off of your list and put them back on. Uh, at the end of the season, the list resets. It goes to, to nil. And you have to put players back on your list at the start of the season, the next season. And the intent, again, goes back to single entity and back to preventing teams or trying to prevent teams from going after the same player, negotiating against each other, and increasing the cost for MLS, right? Because it is a single entity league and the contracts are with MLS. So the league, everything they've done is about control. And so league headquarters has control by saying, you can't negotiate with this player, player X, because player Y has the discovery rights. And they wanted to be able to do that, to be able to say, hey, both of these teams should not be negotiating for this player. We have a list, your priority spot one, priority spot two, priority spot three. And if you don't have interest in negotiating with this player, then it goes to the next person on the list, the next team on the list. But as the the rule has evolved, as the league has evolved, teams use it to basically sit on players that they think have a chance of coming back to MLS. And that was happening, um, that, that happens with, with some frequency and, and the league has tried to make adjustments. Like, like when it comes to players like Gareth Bale, they basically require that an ownership group shows that they have the funds to be able to sign that player. So like the prime example of that is Philadelphia union had Zlatan on their discovery list. And like, they were not going to be able to sign and pay for Zlatan. So it was like, okay, yes, you you're hearing that Zlatan may come to MLS. We're not going to let you park his name on your discovery list, unless you show us that you can pay. 
Um, but when you talk to people around the league and when, when Sam and I did that anonymous survey of, of executives in MLS, the number one thing you hear is that the discovery rule doesn't work. The tampering, it happens all the time. There are always teams talking to other players who are, are discovered by other teams. And what that means is technically by the letter of the law, if a player is on another team's discovery list, you're not allowed to talk to that player or that player's reps until you go to the league, state your intent, put them on your discovery list and go through the discovery process where the league has to talk to the other team and approve you negotiating. Obviously that just doesn't happen every time. And so it's not really the, the, the rule isn't working as it was intended to work. The league has moved so far beyond what it was when this rule was was created and so what you have now is just this thing that in my opinion is more of a hindrance to signing good players and is embarrassing for the league and yet you know they haven't adapted at all to try to figure out a new way to have some level of control which i think that the player department within mls headquarters doesn't want to let go of um, but also in a way that makes more sense and that's actually effective. And a lot to unpack there. Basically what I take away from that and what the listeners should take away is it's like you're a kid at Christmas, you make your Christmas list. Every year you get older, you make a new Christmas list. New things come on it, the new shiny thing. Wow, that's, um, it's interesting. I mean, I kind of knew what it was. I got a grasp of it, but like a lot of MLS fans, myself included, that do podcasts or just general fans, you know, we just watch for the quality on the field and, you know, try to understand the tactics and pull apart games. And there's a lot of stuff that goes on behind the scenes. And, you know, that's, that's why I got you in here, Paul, because. Yeah. Just, and we... I mean, it's interesting when you talk to GMs, I mean, there are interesting aspects to it. Like if you put somebody on your discovery list, the team that has them, you know, usually there can be players who are on multiple teams discovery list, but then there's a priority who put the player on their discovery list first. And there are conversations that happen Within the league, basically, if you are number one on discovery and somebody else puts their that player on their list, you get alerted by the league that somebody else has interest in this player. And, you know, there are all of these kind of tiebreaker formats that work and, you know, timestamps. And it's, it's, again, for me, it's like this existed for a reason. It made sense at the time. And now the league has just moved on from it. And the reality is, and this is where I think MLS HQ is so far behind, like they operate in a global infrastructure. They operate in a global market, and yet they they don't acknowledge that. They don't recognize that some of these rules they've created, the bubble that used to be around MLS is burst. Like they created this bubble to, to artificially, you know, put a ceiling on cost of players and as more players have come in from outside of that bubble, the bubble is growing bigger and bigger and bigger, and then it burst. And the reality is that MLS is now exposed to the global market, you know, in a, in a way it never was before. And so some of these rules, some of these buckets of money, you know, TAM and U22 and all these restrictions that exist, they don't make sense because you're, you're no longer, it's not a North America, this is not the NBA, it's not the NFL you are competing against leagues all around the world. And MLS just doesn't, hasn't adapted to recognize that yet. Yeah. There's so many different financial mechanisms that go into MLS. It's, it's really hard to keep up with. 
and and so most fans don't so anyways let's keep it moving with the transfer that just the transfer window that just happened and it wasn't your average transfer window right it was historic and as i would say it was an mls gone wild transfer window right on brand three euro 2020 winners in chiellini and Signe and bernadeschi signed him on his contracts gareth bale like we said joined lafc on a, t- on, a on a tam deal just months before the world cup okay good business there Former Premier League strikers Cucho Hernandez and Benteke, they both came to the Eastern Conference. LA Galaxy signed 23-year-old Spanish midfielder Ricky Pooch. I think I said that right, from Barcelona. I think I did pretty good there. And then U.S. Men's National Team hopefuls Giacchini and Shaq Moore both make moves to MLS ahead of the World Cup this fall. And that's just the tip of the iceberg. So keeping teams' needs in current positions in the table in mind, Paul, who were your biggest winners of this transfer window and why? I mean, I think there's one that stands out well above anyone else, and that's Toronto FC. Um, You know, they completely remade their team. I mean, completely remade it. They got rid of two DPs. They brought in two new DPs. Like, that is so rare to see happen. Um, The mutual termination of Salcedo made that possible, trading Pozuelo to enter Miami. Um, And then you bring in Crescito, Mark Anthony K, Bernardeschi, uh, Daniel Henry, Richie Larea, and then Insigne is ar- arriving, even though you signed him in January. So, I mean, it is a complete makeover of this team, and it now puts them back in the picture in, in an Eastern Conference that is just insane right now. I mean, there's nine teams basically fighting for three playoff spots, um, and I think Toronto is one of them. I think Toronto has the talent to make a run, and so – because of that, because they were completely out of the picture, in my opinion, and now I'll, I'm willing to discuss them as part of the picture, I think they're probably the biggest winners or the, the team that, you know, most took advantage of that summer window. Just the sheer amount of work that they did is is so rare to see a makeover like that happen midseason. It's, it's, it's pretty incredible. And then, yeah, I mean, I think you also have to acknowledge LAFC. Um, which was the best team in the league uh, in the standings and yet went out and added two TAM players with incredible resumes and a, and a new DP. So, um, you know, I I think a nod for, for LAFC is, is necessary as well. So the first thing I want to say about Toronto is I think the player that's benefited most of them bringing in Bernadeschi and Insigne is Jonathan Osorio. Looks like a different player and that midfield looks more balanced. Um, he's just benefiting and that's oftentimes what happens when good players come into the league. We've seen it with Cusho at the crew. Obviously I watch a lot of them and Lucas Elarion has been on a tear because attention is taken off of him. And that, that goes league wide when a new star comes in role players benefit. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's a big part of major league soccer is you can elevate the level of your domestic player by putting the right pieces around him and the right players who can elevate everyone. And, and that's the, the requirement. Like I did an interview with Greg Vanny earlier this year where he talked about DPs and he was saying like, they have to give you everything, right? They have to work, they have to care, they have to be bought in because they have more talent than the guys around them. And so they could afford not to, but if they send a message that they're not going to put in the work, well, the guys around them are going to follow that example and they don't have that level of talent to kind of get away with it. So there's that element of it. One, 
which I think you can see with someone like Cucho when he's coming in and working and, and trying and got all the effort there. But then the other side of it is, yeah, like those players have skill sets that can make up for where, where the players around them, the role players lack. And the goal is to get good enough domestic players that, you know, yes, they're going to have some flaws, but when you put really good players around them, those flaws are not as obvious anymore. And, and so everyone else benefits. Um, and I think we're seeing that. I think we've seen that around the league. Um, but certainly, you know, when you, when you see a team like Toronto, a bad team get that much better um, and see the, the players that you know are quality players suddenly start looking better, it's not, it's not a surprise. It's not a secret. You know, it's like, oh, yeah, we put really good players around them. <laughs> And we named all the big guys, right? One guy that you mentioned earlier in the podcast, Richie Larea, that went over to Nottingham Forest, came back on loan in his, I guess, second time debut for Toronto FC, had an assist to Jonathan Osorio. And I think that move back to Toronto is going to benefit him. Obviously, you know, FC Dallas was in the mix, but he probably wanted to come back to Toronto. He's familiar with it. They just signed two world-class players. And he's going to be playing on a right-hand side where Bernadeschi is going to be cutting in on his left foot. So Richie Larea can run all the way down to the touchline. Yeah. I mean, I think we have to acknowledge that a lot of these moves or some of these moves, I should say, were done with the world cup in mind. Gareth Bale is an example and Richie Larea is an example. Mm -hmm. You, you know, we've seen examples like it all over the world though, right? Like Matthew Hoppy trying to move as well. That's done to try to get, to be put in the shop window, to be put not in the shop window in this sense, but in the in the window for Greg Berhalter to watch you, right? And and so you know Richie Larea, yeah, he needed a move to play to make sure he was ready to go for Qatar. And you're right, going somewhere where you know you know the the people, you know the club, you know the city that that factors in big time to being able to step in right away and and be effective. Um, and so I think you know, not an ideal situation for Richie Larea to have to come back to MLS on loan this quickly, but I think the November World Cup necessitated it, and I think it'll work out well for, for both parties. Absolutely, and I mean, not the same case for Kyle Duncan coming back to the New York Red Bulls. What'd you make of that? Yeah, I mean, you know, I always have a lot of respect for players who, who try new things to try to go to Europe, see if they can make it work. And sometimes you you end up at the wrong club or at the, you know, the wrong with the wrong manager at the wrong time. And, um, you know, I don't think there's any shame in, in trying it and, and it's not working and you come back. Chris Mueller is another example of that, mm-hmm. um, where you go somewhere, there's there's changeovers of managers, there's different types of pressures, there's, you know, different signings that get brought in by different regimes you know, you, the, the idea of going and getting that experience is still, I, I like to see that in a player. Um, you know, you see it also like in a player, like, I don't know. I remember having conversations with people a few years ago about uh, Randall Leal. And, you know, one of the things that, you know, my, I'm a Costa Rican background. And when you, when you talked to people in Costa Rica about Leal, one of the things that they, they mentioned about him is that he had gone to Europe and, and at a young age and, and played there and had that experience of moving abroad and then came back. And some people took that as a knock. And I took that as a, a positive sign that this, this kid had already experienced a cultural change. He had already he had high aspirations to leave his comfort zone early on. And it's worked out pretty well for Nashville, who got him for a, a darn good price. 
Um, and I think, you know, it's similar situations with guys like Kyle Duncan, with guys like Chris Mueller, and even Richie Larea. Yeah, and I've talked to a lot of young players doing this podcast, and everybody I talk to, they have European aspirations. But like you touched on, and I'll say it maybe in simpler terms, but not all transfers are created equally, right? It has to be the right time, right situation, right tactics, right coaching staff, all those things, and it doesn't always work out. Philadelphia has done it probably more seamlessly than anybody else. FC Dallas right there with them, but every, every transfer isn't going to be perfect. And like you said, it, it does say something about the player's ambition to go over to Europe, try something new. If it doesn't work, come back to where it's comfy and then maybe try again, you know, bolster your value and then go back out. But we'll go back to Toronto FC really quick, hit LAFC and then some other winners in the transfer window. Toronto FC, like you said, they are, where are they? Four points back of the final playoff spot right now in 13th place. We kind of danced around it, but do you think Toronto FC actually has what it takes to make the Eastern conference playoffs this year? Yeah. I mean, when I, I was talking about this with somebody um, in the league earlier, uh, when I I'm pulling up the standings right now, when I look at these teams, I look at basically the thing I'm looking at right now is like, who's up top for them. And do I think they have the firepower up top to, to make this push down the stretch? So when I'm looking, I'm looking basically from fifth place to 13th place from Columbus all the way through Toronto fighting for those final three spots. And so, yeah, Columbus, yes, they have the talent up top. Cincinnati, as long as Brandon Vasquez is scoring the way he is, they have the talent up top. Cincinnati, or sorry, Chicago, we're starting to see, hey, if they can get things clicking in the final third with Shakiri, with Jairo Torres, with Chris Mueller, and if they get Shabilko or Duran, one of the two, all they need is one of the two to score on the night. You know, they can be in the mix. Where do I see the problems? Orlando, I see some problems there uh, mm-hmm. up top, certainly. Miami, oh, yeah. if, if Iguain starts scoring goals, I, I can't count them out. New England having issues since losing Buxa. Are they going to have the firepower? Charlotte, no. They're out. I think they're done. Um, I think it's going to get harder for Charlotte. And then Atlanta, I, I have really not a lot of faith in Atlanta to be in it. Again, I look up top, the production's not there. It's in Toronto. So, Really, if I were to take a, a prediction of who's going to be in it down the stretch, I would say Columbus, Cincinnati. Um, I'm not all the way in on Chicago because I don't trust those two strikers. So I'm going to say Chicago, Columbus, Cincinnati, Toronto, and Miami, if Iguain can get going, and Chicago as well. So, like, again, I, I think those five teams are going to be in it down the stretch if their forwards are scoring. So I, yes, I have Toronto making a run. And I really think, I, I really think Toronto is going to be like going down to decision day with a shot to make the playoffs. It'd be an amazing story. And if they get in, nobody's going to want to play them with the firepower they have in the playoffs. A hundred percent. Like think about the reward, you know, you get to the playoffs and your first round matchup is against that Toronto team. That's like flying. It's, it's, um, but, you know, what I love about it is it, it sends a message around the league, like surprise, surprise, like go spend money and you can be really, you can be good and you can be competitive. And um, I think it, it speaks to the thing that I think is constantly lacking in the, in the, the long term, the big picture, which is just, you know, spending smart um, and spending aggressively can lead to good results and, and, um, and certainly can lead to more entertaining soccer. Yeah, absolutely. And Toronto FC, you know, they waited till summer to do their rebuild. They weren't in it for the Shield. We'll go back to LAFC, who looked to be favorites for the Shield. Obviously, 
they are on track on point to probably beat new new england revolutions record that they set last year on 73 points i saw a model today saying they're probably going to get to 75 earning 23 out of the last possible 33 points do you think that they set the single season point record yeah i think so i think they're running away with it and um but do they care about that yeah probably i mean i think what's what will be interesting is to me is uh, it's worth probably digging into like why have so many points records been set so recently, you know, like it's, it's when you look at like the recent history of MLS, it's like every other year, basically like somebody sets the single season points record. So, uh, you know, 2019 LAFC, yeah, 2021, the Rebs, And this right. year it looks like it's going to happen again. But what's so funny when you look at what LAFC done with constructing their roster with the DPs and getting Gareth Bale and Chiellini over on Tams, you look at the New England Revolution from last year, it's a completely different roster construction. Yeah, they had Carlos Hill, Adam Buxa, and Gustavo Bo. But outside of that, like they had some role players. I mean, Tejan Buchanan, but they didn't have the firepower or the depth to that matter that LAFC do. Yeah, and I think I think that a lot of people felt like they were a team that was far outperforming what they should have been. Um even as it was going on, but it's Bruce arena at his best. He, mm-hmm. he is the great example of taking limited players in the market, understanding what they do best and putting them on the field with the right pieces around them. And that's what he's always done. He's found those players that he, he doesn't ask more of them than what they're capable, what they're best at doing. And when you talk to people who were part of those LA galaxy teams back in the day with, with Robbie Keane and um, you know, with, with Beckham and Landon Donovan, I mean, that's what they say. That, that Bruce just had a really, really good touch with understanding what a guy like Tommy McNamara does well. Two assists how... last weekend versus yeah. Orlando. I just pulled I'm, it up. It's crazy. I mean, you, 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 you are just able to kind of see how that piece fits well into a team. And, and you know, Tommy McNamara wasn't playing really or, or wasn't really playing effectively in Houston. And then he goes over to New England and he starts for a team that sets the points record. So um credit to bruce arena but yeah i mean it also shows again that mls is just a weird league and you know i think i think it's worth pointing out that there's been a lot of activity in this year in both windows and kind of trying to bring more star power into the league and i think that was lacking a little bit last year where you really had like dominant players on the field it wasn't really happening whereas this year i think if you look around the league those dominant players are back on the field all across the league, right? I mean, you talk about, you know, Vela playing and, and Bale now being at LAFC and, you know, Chicho obviously playing well. You've got Drusi, um, you've got, uh, you've got uh, Acosta, Reynoso, uh, all the tens. I mean, Reynoso, thank you. That's the player I was yeah. thinking of. Acosta, Cucho coming in. I mean, you go down the list of all these, these teams, the star power is back and that always tilts the scale. And it, it not only tilted during the regular season, but it really impacts things in the playoffs. As any Columbus fan will tell you with how they won MLS Cup, it's Zella Rayon. That's what you pay for, big players and big moments. And, and so I think, I think that changed the equation a little bit. Um, you know, Carlos Hill's not able to do, to carry it the way he did before and more star power injected into the league elsewhere and, and things start to even themselves out a bit. Hey, he's still killing the key pass game right now. I mean, he's up like 20, 
ish on Luciano, uh, Luciano Acosta, but those key passes got to go to the right people, you know, <laughs> they do. They do. <laughs> a lot of those are coming on corner kicks and set pieces as well. So those numbers are kind of inflated, but let's talk about a couple more winners. I don't know if you have any outside of Toronto FC and LA. You got anybody else? Uh, those are my two. Those are my two big winners of the window. So I've got a couple. One, obviously my beloved Columbus crew because of the Cucho thing, right? That's great. We don't have to go into Cucho. I've, everybody's talked about Cucho. We don't need to do that, okay? We don't need to wax poetic, as they say, about every great thing that Cucho has done. Five goals in 406 minutes. That's all I'll say. I'll move on. But what the Columbus crew did with their MLS next pro side, signed Jason Russell Rowe, signed Mo Farsi in this window. Not huge signings, but they're signings that are going to make a difference. Jason Russell Rowe was signed when we were kind of in flux. We sold Giassi to the Colorado Rapids. We had Eric Hurtado up front as well as Miguel Berry. Neither were performing. We brought in Jason Russell Rowe. He filled some spot minutes, which was really impressive, and it's important, and we're using our resources to our advantage. Same thing with Mo Farsi. We've seen him come in, make a central midfield appearance, and then we saw him fill in at right back as well. So those are two really good signings for me. I have FC Cincinnati down here as well, just with the Matt Miazga thing. Like they have what it takes offensively, right? We talk about Lucho Acosta. We Brenner is hot right now. And, you know, hopefully he stays hot. That'll be really good for FCC. And then Brandon Vasquez, who's just tearing the league up right now. So as long as those guys can keep storing, scoring, I think that Matt Miazga raises their floor exponentially. They've given up the fourth most goals in the league. I think FCC is a probably a good team going from three straight wooden spoons to what? sixth place in the East, the all-star break right now. It's pretty good. And yeah, then signing Matt. I mean, credit to Chris Albright. I think he's, he's really helped to turn things around faster there than you'd expect. And Pat Noonan as well. Um, you know, people I talked to believe that Matt Miazga is going to be one of the better center backs in MLS. And if he is that, then it's, it's a, an absolutely massive addition for them. And I think, you know, I think they're going to be shopping for another center back too. So, um, you know, it'll be interesting to see how that makeover continues under the, the Albright Noonan pairing. So my last winner, you said they're not going to make the playoffs. That's okay. I got a lot of Charlotte folks that listen to this podcast. (laughs) Be very careful what you say here, Paul. So they fired their coach early in the season, right? They just let go their first two signings, but they're only one point back in the Eastern Conference. So you talk about the guys up front. If Carol Swiderski and my boy Ben Bender can get it going, who knows what could happen, right? But from going from where Miguel Ramirez came out and said, we are screwed to where they are now. And then they made a bunch of moves right towards the deadline. So they got rid of Christian McCoon and they got pretty good value back on him. Sergio Ruiz gone, TT Ortiz gone, Alan Franco gone. They brought in Nathan Byrne, I believe is how you uh, pronounce his last name, playing the championship right back. So they get an upgrade there, I suppose, over Harrison Offull and Jalen Lindsay. Guy's got a lot of experience. Nuno Santos, a number 10 young Portuguese player played on the youth Portuguese national teams, probably a good signing. It's something that they needed. So that's important. And then a guy by the last name of Melanda. So maybe they upgraded center back. I don't know. What are your thoughts on Charlotte's window? Look again, I think a lot of Charlotte is TBD. Uh, You don't know how these guys are going to adjust to the league. You got to wait and see kind of how things work out. When are they going to get their visas? How many games are going to be left in the season? Where are they in the standings? I've, I've been I've been harping on this for a long time with expansion teams. It gets hard in the summer. That's where you start to see 
the weaknesses, the depth is the problem because you're signing 30 guys to a team. If I always say like, if you're a GM and you get 50% of your signings, right, you've had a pretty average to good window, but typically you're signing three and four guys, right? So if you get two of them wrong, it shouldn't have a huge impact on you unless it's a DP, of course. But if you're signing 30 guys and you're, and you have a good year and you get 50% right, that means you have 15 guys you've got to replace on your team for the next year. Right. And, and so when does that hit you? It hits you in July and August when things get hot and you have a lot of rotation necessary and, and teams are, are kind of peaking and starting to, to kind of hit their, their gear. Like we're seeing with Toronto coming out of the window. So I, I, you know, I had the prediction spot on about Miguel Angel Ramirez getting let go early in the year. This, that wasn't a surprise to me. We heard it, there's been a lot of tension within that club. And I just think that things are going to get real for Charlotte and, and it's not in a good way. That's, that's what I'm going to say about Charlotte. So there should be no surprise. They didn't get Aaron Ramsey, but, but it's not, it's not a knock. Like it's just the reality of expansion. I mean, I covered Orlando city through their expansion season. They were, they were right in the hunt. And then they went through this bad stretch where they, they just struggled the depth. They had to call on depth more. They had a lot of young players, a lot of inexperience. Things happened to some of their, their, their better players that they didn't anticipate. You know, two guys went on a bender who were starters. One, a guy was a starter. The other guy was expected to contribute and they had to let both of them go. And like, I mean, things happen in expansion seasons that you just can't account for. And what, that's why I think the January window after your expansion year is so critical to, to kind of make the adjustments that you've learned from these 30 players that you've added. And Charlotte's trying to do some of it on the fly. Like you've mentioned, they, they let four guys go. They're bringing new faces in. They're trying to make those adjustments ahead of January. So maybe it's, maybe it'll work out. I, I think it's very TBD, but I think it's just the reality of an expansion window. And so I kind of expect that expansion dip to happen in a very competitive race and not having the guy to, you know, the star player to be the striker, the scorer, not to have the production on the field. I have that when you look at who they're competing with, again, I went through the list of the teams that have those finishers, have those difference makers. Like I think Charlotte's going to struggle to match that. And, and so I'm anticipating them just kind of petering out here. And then let's see what happens in the January window, because they're going to have money. They're going to have a whole year to look back on where are the weaknesses? Where can we make adjustments and go from there? Pump your brakes, Charlotte fans. Be patient, says Paul Tenorio. What was your favorite intra-league move that's happened in this transfer window? Ooh, that's a good one. Um, intra-league move. Or one Man, that you think will make the biggest difference. I don't know. I mean, have there were there really, uh, you know, Pozuelo? I guess. Yeah, I mean, Pozuelo for sure. Like, I think that's a good shout, you know, considering what, I'm interested to see how Bozuelo functions in Miami over the next month or two, you know, like how, how does he adjust to, to living and playing in the heat of South Florida? I think that's always a big, um, you know, big question mark. Um, but yeah, I think that that'd be a great shout for, for a trade within the league that has the chance to, you know, level up a team um, because you don't see DP mo DPs moving inside the league that often, certainly in the trade market doesn't happen that often. Um, and so that's, that's one I, I think I also like on a low key shout, like I, I was a big fan of treasury shroudy, mm -hmm. um, going into the off season, 
I thought it was a really smart pickup by LA. And then he just gets pushed out by like all of the signings that they made. Right. And so, yeah, I, I'm interested to see him in new England as well. I think, you know, if he's healthy and he can get on the field that he'll, he'll be a difference maker for them. Would have loved to have seen him at the Columbus crew. I think there were a lot of teams that could have benefited from Tajuri Shroudy, both in the January window. And again, here in the summer window, how do you think legit fits into FC Dallas? Yeah, I don't know. It'll be an interesting one to see. I think he gives them another central midfield option. I don't think it's necessarily like solving the problems that they needed to solve, uh, but he's a good quality player. He knows the league. Um, you know, he knows the system that uh, that's being played there. Uh, he's familiar with some of the guys on the team. I think that'll make his transition better. So uh, I, I like the move. I think, again, you know, in this point of the season, it's going to be about your depth. And when you add more good players to your roster, guys like, you know, that we've discussed um, that, you know, what they bring to the table, you know, the level that they're at, they understand the league and you're going to have to lean on them. And so when you're a team like Dallas, that's been building for a while, you have homegrowns to add somebody like that, I think only bolsters your chances to, to be a playoff team and to be effective. Do you have any losers from the transfer window? <sighs> I mean, it's hard to say, right? Because sometimes like a deal gets really close to getting done. And so I, I hate to crush teams that were trying to get stuff done and didn't. I thought RSL maybe could have added some more pieces for sure in this window, considering a new owner's there and they're right in the thick of things like outperforming what everyone expected of them. Um, you know, they're, they're safe right now, but you've got Seattle, the Galaxy, Colorado, all lurking under the playoff line right now. Um, so I, I thought RSL could have been more aggressive in the transfer window. Um, San Jose, I thought San Jose could have been more aggressive in selling pieces off to prepare for revamping the team under a new coach. I know that there was a lot of interest. I reported on a lot of the interest that was there. They, they did end up selling Marcus Lopez uh, to Feyenoord, but I thought they could have been more aggressive in starting to try to move some of those pieces. Um, Kid Cowell um, would have been one that I think would have been in my opinion, a prime time to sell him. Um, so I, I'm going to, I'm going to hit, hit on them a little bit uh, hard there. Just saying like, I think that you have to start to make your mind up about rebuilding um, kind of early on uh, to, to build those, to get those assets to actually be able to build. So I would have liked to see them be a little bit more aggressive. I think Chicago, same thing. I, I think Chicago could have sold a couple more pieces um, but, you know, at the same time, I, it's hard to criticize them because they started playing good soccer and they started having good results. And so then you have to factor in, do I really want to shake up my locker room at a time when we're finally starting to find it? So, you know, those are the things you have to factor in. Um, and, you know, DC United, look, they they need a lot of work and they started to do that work. So, you know, to get Ben Teke right on the deadline to get a couple pieces, you know, I think they have a long way to go. I think there are a lot of things they need to do to, to be competitive. Um, and, you know, that's another team that I, I was a little bit surprised that they were unwilling to talk about some trades within the league that I thought might've been worth discussing just to, to pile up some assets to start to think about how are we building this for Wayne Rooney um, come January. Real quick. I think my one big loser is a team that was in the Eastern conference finals, I believe in their expansion year, Nashville FC. Is that correct? Yeah, I think, I mean, it was, it was the weird. It was yeah, year. 2020, but Gary yeah. Smith actually came out either this week or last week and said his biggest accomplishment 
since being there would be if Nashville could make the playoffs this season. Do you have any insight if they went after any attacking help for Hani Mukhtar? I don't, I don't, but I will say like, that's like, I always joke, like, like British coaches are the best man. Like listening to Adrian Heath or, or Gary Smith talk about like, like resetting expectations in the media. <laughs> like it's, it's, so, it's something that's part of the culture in England. Like I, I, I really truly believe this, like people complain all the time about Adrian Heath in the press conferences. I know him really well. Like that's just part of the culture there. And I think Gary Smith saying that this would be his best accomplishment is like, it's resetting expectations is what it's doing. And it's really savvy uh, in some ways to try to get that narrative out there. But I, I don't, I don't, I'm not buying what Gary Smith is selling. Yeah. They brought in Schaffelberg from Toronto FC because they had to offload some players. Right. And then Shaq Moore, us men's national team, right back who another guy came over here in a world cup year, hopefully to get some important minutes and show what he's got for Greg Berhalter, but would have loved to have seen them add an attacking piece with Hani. So we'll see how that attack goes. But let's get to the big picture here. We've talked about all these big signings, World Cup year, guys coming over from all over the world to prove themselves, to try to earn their, their spot to Qatar. What's your big picture takeaways from this transfer window and just how it looks for the overall MLS landscape and global perception moving forward? Well, I think, I think again, for me, I think it was an injection of talent that the league really needed. Um, I, I really have found less compelling players and teams in the league over the last couple of years. And I think that, that they needed this injection of talent into the league. Some of these name players, some of the Cucho type signings that are, are, are quality players um, that are fun to watch um, seeing Toronto do what they did. I think that for me was necessary for this league just to try to create more buzz. And so that's for me, the big takeaway here. And, and uh, we can talk about, you know, the smaller things, right? Like if, if we, you know, if you want to talk about um, kind of where does MLS go next? Like what's the next part of this? It's, it's you know, the Marcos Lopez sale. It's, it's Revelison sale from the Galaxy, right? Yeah. He signed a player from League Two on a free transfer. He plays well in Major League Soccer and he gets sold to a league on team, right? And like, that's the goal to, 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 to sign a player, make them better, or at least show them that they can be better in that window and then sell them for more money to a higher level. If MLS can start doing that consistently, like that Revelison sale for me could be like really important for MLS or could be the kind of the standard that you hold up and say more of this, right? Like that's what needs to happen in MLS. Like Almiron was a great example of it, but it hasn't happened enough. And especially with the U22 initiative, like that's kind of like the long-term thing um, but, but that's, that's, that's existed for a while now for me, for this window specifically, it was about injecting talent and drama and some, some more compelling, um, characters into a, a season that really, really needed it. Yeah. And I think Adam books is another example of bringing a guy over and then making a profit off of him after he shows that he can do it at the top or in MLS. Yeah, I mean, for me, it's less about the profit. It's more like, can you take a younger player, bring them here, have them perform well, and then sell them on to a better club? Mm -hmm. And if they, if MLS can start doing that, if they can start developing talent the way that we've seen with Brendan Aronson, with Tyler Adams, with you know the younger Americans who have gone over, if they can start to do that more regularly with international talent, 
then it's a game changer for the league. But the reality is they haven't done that yet, not consistently. And they've built this whole thing around that concept, the U22 initiative, young money. And they're not, they haven't been able to do it yet, partly because it's too early, partly because the expectations by creating these buckets changes the kind of uh, time frame of how you treat these players. Um, it's just natural. You know, oh, we only have six players where transfer fees don't matter. Like this player has to help us today. Well, like that shouldn't be how these players are treated, right? But that's how MLS likes to structure things and it creates expectations that are out of their control. So um, yeah, for me, it's that that's the next level for MLS. They need to show that they can do that consistently. But in order to do that, in my opinion, the whole level of the league has to come up and the U22 initiative young money is not going to help do that. Um, They need to change the way that they operate in general to get the league to be better. Um, But uh, I I think if, if you start to see more of these sales, then the way that that people perceive this league globally will shift dramatically. Yeah. It'll pump up credibility. You know, I think a lot of, young players and players from South America, things like that, see this as a stepping stone. And like you said, if we can show, if MLS can show that we can bring these guys in, continue to develop them and then sell them on, we'll only continue to get better and better younger players coming through. But speaking of a stepping stone, we talk about some of the Academy kids. You brought up Brendan Aronson. We just had Gaga Slinina get sold to Chelsea, loaned back, but what, sold for 10 mil? Yep, 10 million. 18 year old goalkeeper. I, that might be unprecedented. I actually think it's unprecedented for MLS almost positive. So good for him, but are there any other kids, young players under 22 that we should have on our radar to possibly be sold next? Yeah. I mean, I think his suits Ferreira, if he, if he goes to the world cup and plays well, there is somebody who could be sold on, um, Araujo, uh, with, with the galaxy, uh, Julian, uh, I think he could be sold on, um, Federico Navarro in Chicago, John Duran, in Chicago, I think is another player who could be sold on. So I think those examples are there for sure. Um, if you want to go down the USMNT list, the, the young, young players coming through the MNT, um, you know, I think I, I'm always hesitant to start pumping guys until they, they start to play consistently in the league. Um, I have a little list of guys that I'm keeping an eye on in the youth national teams, but, you know, I, I just think like Gago Slonina, I want to see them, performing consistently right. at a high level. Um, and, you know, outside of a, a USL guy like Josh Winder, who I think could be sold um, once he turns 18, um, you know, in MLS, I'm, I'm kind of wait and see on, on some of these younger players who are just starting to get minutes and starting to be put in that shop window. And we'll see, you know, the U20 World Cup next spring, that that is a big, big opportunity for some of these players like Paxton Aronson, who I think is probably one of those guys on that radar right now um, to kind of solidify their, their global market. Look at how this is working out. My last interview I had was with Paxton Aronson and now I got Paul on here. He's got him on the list. Let me ask you a guy I had on a couple years ago. He's been killing it for the Columbus crew. The crew were undefeated with him starting until they just, whatever happened against Montreal midweek last week, Aiden Morris contract is up in December. What are your thoughts on Aiden? Yeah, he's been a good player. I, I, you know, I felt I felt for him so badly when he did the ACL. Yeah. Um, you know, obviously, I, I remember speaking to him after MLS Cup to get thrown into the lineup the way he was and to perform the way he did at that point in time was was pretty incredible. So, 
uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens with him. I think certainly people have taken note of his performances and um, I'm sure Columbus is trying to figure out the, the right solution as well. Um, but, you know, a quality player who's, who's going to have, he's going to have options and it's about finding the right option at the right time. We talk about all the time, like what is the right move and when is the right time to make that move? And, um, you know, if you listen to Greg Berhalter, you really need to show that you can dominate a level before you, you move on to the next one. But, you know, does that necessarily disqualify going to a similar level in Europe that puts you in a bigger shop window? I don't think so. Right. Like if you go to Belgium or to Austria to a similar level um, and you can play and perform there, you know, maybe it's an intriguing, in, intriguing thing to do. Speaking of not necessarily dominating another guy that I had on a couple years ago, Cole Bassett went over to Feyenoord. Is that where he went? Yes. Yes. He went. What's to going on with my man Cole, man. I haven't heard anything about Cole Bassett in quite a while. Yeah. You know, it's an interesting one for me. I, I'm not sure kind of what will happen with Cole, but I mean, it's a good fine or team. You know, they played for a trophy last year in Europe right. and um, it's a tough, it's tough to break in sometimes. And I, I think that's, that's what Cole's going through. And, you know, he's got a, a sporting director. There is obviously very familiar with major league soccer, Dennis Teclosa, formerly of the galaxy. Um, and, you know, I think it's just a matter of trying to fight your way into the squad. And sometimes it takes a little bit longer. Sometimes it's not the right place at the right time, but I'm not trying to say that's what it is with Cole. You never know. I mean, look at a guy like it's a little bit different because he had an injury, but Richie Ledesma, you know, in and out of that team with PSV. Now he's in the squad and, and performing when he's been called on so far. So, um, not counting Cole Bassett outlet yet, but that it's a good, it is a good final team. Yeah. So Paul, we've talked about as much I think that we could on the transfer market. I'm sure that you could go on and on and on, but folks, if you want to read what Paul has to say about all the transfers league wide, go check him out on the athletic, go listen to the allocation disorder. I want to get into some really quick hit questions. So right now we're watching the MLS skills challenge, right? MLS all-star match is tomorrow versus Liga MX at 8 30 PM on ESPN. Who is in your starting 11? You know, you, you sent me this question and I, I, I was like, you know, I have no idea. And you know why I have no idea? Because I talked to Adrian Heath and Adrian Heath has no idea what he's going to do yet. I wrote out like 10 possible starting lineups on sticky notes today. I threw them all away. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's an all-star game. Who knows how he's going to come out trying to play. I joked with him about it. Like, are you going to try to get all the attacking pieces on the field at once? Like how much are you actually talking about? Like, how you're going to play at a training session versus just like have fun and kick the ball around. And he was like, yeah, I mean, it's pretty much both. Like you have to like address the fact that you need to put a lineup out there, but like, right. you're not trying to take things too seriously. So your guess is as good as mine. We'll, we'll let's just wait and see who, who gets tossed out there tomorrow. And, uh, and hopefully we, we get a nice, a nice all-star game show. That's what we all want. I'm just, I'm going to throw out to you what I have. So my one sticky note that stuck Andre Blake in goal because he's my name partner and he's the best goalkeeper in MLS, I think. And defense, Kai Wagner, phenomenal left foot, one of the better left backs in the league, one of the best left backs in the league behind Pedro Santos, of course. Aaron Long, Walker Zimmerman, and DeAndre Yedlin because I need three guys in the U.S. men's national team on that back line. I don't think we can play with two sixes. I don't want to see Ilya Sanchez and Darlington Ag being there together. Please no. I want Darlington to play, but. So I think Ilya Sanchez plays like the six and then Reynoso has to start. It's in Minnesota, right? Yeah, he'll start. We can count on him starting. Has to. And then you have how many 
other tens in there, you know, like four other tens. I put Driussi in there just because I think that he might offer a little more defensive work than the other tens possibly do, even though, yeah, whatever. But left wing, I have Taxi, who can play inverted. Vela on the right, who will play inverted as well. And then Chicharito up top, because I think Chicharito has to against the Liga and Mackey's All-Stars. For sure. They'll get they'll get Vela, they'll get Chicharito out there. And and uh, we might even see, you know, Julian, Julian Araujo starting as well with the, um, you know, just to add to that intrigue. Uh, but when you, like I said. Your guess is as good as mine, Paul. Adrian's going to be closing his eyes and pointing the names tomorrow. They're all stars for a reason. They have the talent, plug and play. They're all going to come in at some point. So whatever. We'll keep it moving. Brandon Vasquez or Jesus Ferreira in a knockout match, the U.S. men's national team, regardless of opponent or tactics. I mean, right now I'm going to say Jesus Ferreira because he's actually played for the national team. Um, I want to see Brandon Vasquez in October uh, or sorry, in September in those friendlies um, before I you know, anoint him. So if, it, if, it's, if you're asking me today, who am I starting, even with Brandon Vasquez scoring all those goals, it's just who's Ferreira because this team is built around the wingers. It's not built around the nines out of necessity, partly, but also partly because of who these wingers are. And, um, and so, yeah, I'm going with Ferreira. Okay. So by the all-star break, we generally have a pretty clear picture of who might win which postseason award. So let's start with MVP. Who you got, Paul? I'm going with Drusy, 16 goals, seven assists, huge part of why Austin is where they are in the standings. I, I just can't imagine how differently things might have gone for Inter Miami if they had stuck with uh, the, the plan to sign Drusy instead of going and pivoting towards Iguain and Matuidi. Can you imagine uh, in so many ways how different it would be? He's been phenomenal for, for Austin, and I think you know he's been what the idea of MVP is all about. He's been super valuable for them. Yeah. Austin are also the first team in the league to 50 goals. Pretty impressive. I really love their attack with him, Fagundes, Arudi. Those guys are so much fun. So they're also second in the shield in their second year in MLS. It's pretty damn good. They're doing a good job. And Austin, next up, newcomer of the year. I think it's going to be Taxi. I think he's going to win it. 11 goals and three assists in 16 games. You got to give it to the, you know, my, my good buddy here in Chicago, Frank Klopas. He loves, he loves seeing a Greek player thrive. So you know, despite what DC United's going through, I'm gonna I'm gonna go with Taxi as the newcomer as long as he keeps things keeps things going the way they're going. He's been phenomenal, and he's the only reason that DC got a point against the Crew a couple weeks ago, right? He's been the only reason they've gotten pretty much all of their points since he since he showed up. <laughs> yeah, the only other player I have there, my front runner in that competition, is also Taxi. But of course, I have Kucho right there as well. Five goals, 406 minutes. If he keeps up that pace, his name's going to be in the running for that as well. Young player of the year, Paul. Yeah, I'm going to go back to Jesus Ferreira. 12 goals and five assists right now for FC Dallas. Um, you know, he's living up to the contract he got. And I think, um, you know, I think he right now is deserving of, of that award. This is my podcast, so I have an agenda. So my answer is Aiden Morris. <laughs> Coach yeah. of the year. Oh, coach of the year was a tougher one for me. Uh, I'm going to say Wilfried Nancy uh, in Montreal. I, I really didn't expect them to be where they are. Um, and I think that when you look at what their rosters made up of and, and the guys that he's had performing at a high level, I, I, I think credit to, to what he's done. And I, I really respect the job he's done since he took over in general. And I, I think usually you kind of look back at the year before and factor that in. So I, I think Wilfried Nancy is, is deserving of a shout here. 
Yeah, that's a really good shout. I differ from you in this one. I have Pat Noonan, who's taken FC Cincinnati from a three-time wooden spoon winner to beating yeah. his ex-team that he was an assistant with, 3-1 in yeah, Philly. And now they're like six in pick. the East. They just get a they get a new center back that should bolster their back line. They got a front line that's scoring goals. I got Pat Noonan. We'll see. This next one, it's not an award that MLS gives out, but since we're, we're doing coach of the year, let's go opposite of that. Who is the next coach in MLS to be fired? You know, I had a tough one on this because we've seen a lot of guys get fired. There's like a lot of interim managers right now in Major yeah. League Soccer. Um, and so that makes it a little bit more difficult. I, I, I think, I don't know if fired is the right way to put it, but I think if Orlando City doesn't make the playoffs, I could see a split happening with Oscar Pereja. I could see change yeah. happening in Orlando. Um, I'm not saying it's going to, but I, 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 when I went through the standings, the, the thing that kept popping out to me was like, you know, maybe maybe that's a divorce that ends up happening if if um if they can't kind of get out of this spiral um new owners oscar is is you know he's he would have suitors in multiple places he's he's gonna have options in multiple places um yeah so that's the one i'm keeping my eye on considering there's like four interim managers in mls right now i mean there's there's a recipe, right? Like if you're on a losing skid, you want to win fire coach. It's the interim head coach bump. You'll get a win that way. I have Oscar Preha down there as well. I have not been on high. I have not been high on Orlando city all year. The other name I have down here is Paulo Nagamura for Houston. Yeah. I don't see it happening. I, I they're really high on Paulo and they've got a lot of work to do on that roster. And so I think, I think he'll be safe uh, gonna, for at least another year. Okay. They'll give him a chance. All right, last but not least, the coveted MLS Cup champs. Who's winning it this year? I mean, you know, this is the thing about that makes me laugh about MLS and talking about parity is, is the playoffs are single elimination. Like anyone can win this thing if you get in. Um, so I'm just going to do the easy thing and, and, and go chalk and say LAFC wins it because, you know, it's a, it's a crap shoot. So I'm going to go with the, uh, the heavy favorite. I have LAFC as well. I do want to say that at the very beginning of the year, I previewed this 2022 MLS season by interviewing Tom Bogert and going through very similar predictions and things like this. And for some reason, I predicted the Vancouver Whitecaps to win MLS Cup 2022. <laughs> and, I, and I asked him on a Twitter space like a month ago, I said, Tom, why in the hell would you let me say that? He said, dude, it's your podcast. You can say whatever you want. I said, true, but you save me from me sometimes. Look, I don't want to go back there with my predictions allocation disorder, but I can tell you I didn't have a pick as bad as Vancouver Whitecaps winning MLS Cup. It's a bad pick. It's, it's, <laughs> I, I, can, I consider myself being decently knowledgeable about MLS, not as knowledgeable as you, but um, yeah, I, I can't explain it, to be honest with you. Maybe one too many glasses of wine. I don't know, but it was not a good pick. <laughs> it's prob probably the safe thing to blame it on. It yeah, was we'll, the wine. We'll, we'll blame it on that. Paul, do you have anything else before you hop off here, man? No, I appreciate you having me on. And, and, you know, I think the big thing for me is let's, let's hope that we get an entertaining back half of this, the back stretch of the season where we're, we're more than halfway over with this year. But, you know, I think again, after this transfer window with the race, you see heating up in the East, especially with all those teams that are just kind of right in the same spot. Um, you know, the, the West is tight as well. I, I'm just hoping for, for some entertainment down the stretch. Awesome. Well, Paul, thanks for hopping on here, man. Allocation disorder meets MLS gone wild. It's the perfect like marriage of league dysfunction. I love it. Trying to make sense out of a league that doesn't make sense. 
Paul, thanks again for hopping on here, man. Thanks so much for having me. Listeners, thanks for tuning into MLS Gone Wild, episode 87, featuring Paul Tenorio of The Athletic. Head over to their website to get the inside scoop on all things MLS and American soccer. And if you enjoyed listening to Paul, be sure to tune in to Allocation Disorder wherever you listen to your podcasts. Until next time, enjoy the All-Star Game and be good to yourselves and one another. Peace.